And we're live because sometimes we're not live when I say, start singing that we're live, so I do a little sing song just to make sure that we're live. Anyway, hello and welcome to the NOP Radio or Wrestling Headlines Radio Raw Review. My name is Matt Mayer, aka Imp, and we are live here on YouTube and also in available in podcast form. Links in the description or head over to WrestlingHeadlines.net for all your latest wrestling news. And we meander once again. Sailing the up and down stream of Monday Night Raw, riding the uneven waves in the fallout of Hell in a Cell. Bloody hell, retribution are effed, aren't they? <laughs> uh, we're going to be going through the show, but I wanted to talk about the uh, angle that ended... My book ended the show with Drew McIntyre, the trifecta of Drew McIntyre, Randy Orton and The Fiend, the point of interest. In the middle of the show, a lot about Survivor Series, very Survivor Series heavy, so I'm going to be talking about that. So, but... Right now, The Fiend of Randy Orton. So Hell in a Cell was this Sunday. You can check out the Hell in a Cell Aftershock, which went live immediately afterwards on this channel. And just on there, which was saying, perfectly good show. Done with Randy Orton versus Drew McIntyre. Was done with the ambulance match. Now it's continuing. But overall, like this show, I found interesting. Like the injection of The Fiend made it feel fresh and new. Not saying I, whatever, I want to see Randy Orton, Drew McIntyre go again <laughs> it's just if you have to when i'm past the point of fatigue get creative with it that's the only way you're gonna grab me and they went creative with it give them that thing that helps as well is survivor series i know a lot of people don't like when survivor series just brings all the storylines to a halt i enjoy survivor series every year and in terms of like no nxt on the card that's not really having any effect on me really i wasn't expecting it we're in a pandemic having multiple 15 person and uh, matches on a show during a pandemic, were you really expecting that to happen? Well, it's WWE. <laughs> it's just, yeah, uh, should should happen and, ah, uh, but we can do it though. <laughs> it tends to fall into the camp of, yeah, we'll do it. But yeah, that means backstage would have been absolute hell with that many people having to be backstage. That was never going to happen. I feel like that was, it was a thing that was nice last year and, and my main thought was the only reason it would happen was because half the crew was stranded in Saudi Arabia. They brought in a load of NXT folk and they made it fit the world and storyline by doing it at Survivor Series. Uh, it, let, it was really good. I really enjoyed it last year. It felt like you got the future coming in as well to challenge the main brand. And it because, of course, we had the NXT AEW Wednesday era start as well. It felt like a cementing of it. For WWE, this is, this is our new schedule and we're launching NXT into the stratosphere. And uh, I t- saw quite a few people saying, feel like a step back not having NXT on the show. Not an issue for me, really. I wasn't expecting it. <laughs> I thought it was a one-time thing because of the Saudi Arabia. Then I, th- then I really wasn't expecting it because of a pandemic and the amount of people you'd have to filter through a stadium live on pay-per-view in order for it to work. No, it's never going to happen. Yeah, but assess it maybe next year and see because it was kind of missed, but I don't really expect it to happen. Anyway, Randy Orton, the point was being, Survivor Series, I, I'm all, I always enjoy Survivor Series. I get a bit sad when the men's elimination match like towards the end of the show is a bit crap, as it more, more is often than not, but when it bangs, it bangs. <laughs> it's an amazing, uh, God, really holding back saying title of your sex tape to that. <laughs> but yeah, it was 
a yeah, I enjoy it, and therefore for me, I mean, this year it feels like a decent break for some of the feuds because they've been running the same matches over and over, especially in like the men's division. That it kind of feels like, yeah, this is a, a break from that for a bit. Then we can return to storyline. But of course, on television, still got to do storylines. And that's where this comes in. And I kind of like the idea of why not use this time to cap off Randy Orton, Drew McIntyre, but also start the build for The Fiend, Randy Orton. So you know what's coming next after his feud with Drew McIntyre. You know what is around the corner. And yeah, personally, I'm a fan of that. And I really enjoyed what they did on this show. It gave the opportunity for, I won't say a slow build, but in for WWE standards, this is a slow build. And by slow build, I don't mean like Sasha Banks Bailey under the surface, is it even actually happening? And then the feud happens and they can call back on stuff. This is, no, it's definitely happening. They're referencing it on telly. They're doing the build, actively doing the build, not little looks and things. That's not a build. Uh, and just doing little things. Actively on TV. And yeah, when I say uh, doing little looks of things, what I mean is the fact that they would do it, it's not acknowledged and nothing comes of it until the feud happens, type of thing. That's what I mean. That's it for WWE. In a different, in a different company, be it New Japan, be it AEW, even be, even be it NXT, when there's a little look or something, that is significant because you can believe in the storytelling that it will lead to a thing. On WWE TV with Sasha Banks, Bailey. It was just as easy to believe that they were doing a little tease or something that was never going to happen. And then he decided to do it. It, it. That's the difference. If I see it on AEW, I'm like, oh, where are they going with this? If I see it on WWE, I'm like, I'll wait till it's confirmed, till it's an actual storyline before getting invested. Uh, I can enjoy the little looks and things. <laughs> I can get myself lost in them, but I won't really take super stock in them. But, uh, yeah, so Drew McIntyre, The Fiend, Randy Orton, feels like a... a what could be a quite strong slow build for WWE over like a two-month period, where you get, well, even three-month, because maybe you, you change, this is changing gears. You have all three of them in there for a bit as he builds up to Drew McIntyre. Then after that, you do the Fiend Randy Orton. Uh, yes, it does kind of foreshadow Drew McIntyre losing, but I don't know. He's, he's believable enough a promo where I reckon he could carry it. Well, I don't really, I won't really have much of a grudge. I reckon, I reckon he can carry it. But... Yeah, on this show, yeah, I feel like they nailed it. The only thing that I had a bit of a mm about was Drew McIntyre did fall off the side of a cell, then was so kind of out of it, one RKO did it when he's kind of blasted out of things before. Uh, but on this night, he walks out first, he's perfectly fine. Well, not perfectly fine, but he's cutting his angry person promo, not his, I, it was a war last night, and he, you don't see any of the war on him. It's just, it's one night later, it's the next show, as if, he didn't fall off the side of cell, unless that is kind of bigging him up as a really, really strong man, a strong competitor. But Drew McIntyre went out there, no longer with his WWE Championship, and he was promising to become champion once again to talk about his like mental strength to f get back up and fight back. And that's where we got our kind of Drew McIntyre angle of the night, when the new Mr. Money in the Bank, Mr. Miz, arrived. Like he and Morrison gleefully gandered into Drew's lion's den. Uh, chatting crap to him, uh, going on a jolly monologue, ignoring the former champion's requests to pay attention to him. And I just love the demeanour which Drew McIntyre does all that with <laughs> when he's doing it. Uh, Miz and Morrison eventually get to, got to their point. Like, if Drew was champion, then he'd be here right now, cashing in that briefcase. But he's not, so he's safe, Drew. Like, look on the bright side, Drew. There's no target on your back anymore. 
that was that didn't go down too well. Uh, McIntyre eventually had enough and but and headbutted them both, not bedhutted them both. <laughs> Morrison with a bit extra of a beat down, following his Scottish impression, laddie. The lads then escaped, and we have our match set up for later. And yeah, it was a that match was fine. I guess like it was the numbers games were attempted, but McIntyre like in true Scottish style battered the new Mr. Money in the Bank. The big Scots ribs being driven into the steps gave him a wee mountain to climb, but it wasn't long before Morrison was launched once again, and the Money Bank briefcase launched up the ramp, so there was no more cheekiness with that, and the Miz clattered with the Claymore. And uh, really, the takeaway was Matthew McConaughey was watching on the Thunderdome screens, <laughs> and like. With all the production and the commentators just marking out. <laughs> I'm just like, oh, right, 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 let's move on. Let's move on. <laughs> we get it. Uh, so, yeah. So, the takeaway was Matthew McConaughey was on the screens. And that's, that's what that segment was about, right? <laughs> but that led. And there were promos in between kind of building stuff up with Vandy Orton and The Fiend because of the Firefly Funhouse. Actually, the Firefly Funhouse is probably a better place uh, to start about what happened with Vandy Orton. Which is quite early on in the show. And he was dressed as the Mad Hatter Bray, uh, and he's having a tea party. He's like, ah, oh, Alice in Wonderland, and in comes Alexa Bliss with the checkered shirt. It's like, ah, oh, yes, well, Alice in Wonderland stuff. Uh, with a, he has a 1911 card in his hat. I'm not nerdy enough to know what that was. Other people are. That's The Undertaker's debut date. <laughs> so, hmm. He's, so, simultaneously, because it's Bray, and we know at Survivor Series they're celebrating The Undertaker in some fashion, Bray's not going to be involved in any other matches. Does the fiend get some vengeance against the Undertaker, or does the Undertaker choke slam him because it's celebrating him? <laughs> I feel like WWE, like some of the people in WWE, like Randy Orton, feel is a big proponent of this. It's just like, hmm, we really should be starting to put over another era, hmm, and it feels like Randy Orton's really changed gears to doing that, to helping this next generation of people get through. Uh, in that vein, have the fiend destroy the Undertaker. If not, uh, uh. <laughs> anyone else, I guess. If you, want, yeah, if you need The Undertaker to look strong, anyone but someone at that level. Uh, but Alexa Briss is the new friend of the fun house, arrives with her own super tasty tea. And the Mr. Rambling Rabbit's like, oh, this is the best tea what I've had. Like, what's, what's the special ingredient? Please tell me, asks Mr. Rabbit. Well, replies Miss Bliss, jumping up and down with glee. It's arsenic! And Mr. Rabbit's face melts off. <laughs> so, uh, that was that. I guess um, the words that came afterwards gave a bit more signal. And where Bray tells Alexa that she'll fit in really well here. Uh, she must be mad like them. Otherwise, she wouldn't be here. Uh, Alexa's excited because she's got a moment of bliss later on with the new WWE champion, Randy Orton. And as soon as she says that, we get a really nice bit where it cuts to Bray Wyatt just staring at the screen and behind him is the picture that's always been there in the fun house of the what, what was it called it was i was gonna say his cabin was it his cabin where it was set on fire by randy orton all the way back in 2017 18 in that feud and oh no it was 16 17 wasn't it oh, time flies but it was that yeah the, that the cabin on fire randy orton's posing kind of in front of it and he's got them behind him and there's the screams of Sister Abigail playing as he just stares at the screen. He hears Randy Orton, that's immediately what he thinks. It's just like, oh, I like that. Yes, callbacks and things. I will eat this up. <laughs> Give me callbacks. <laughs> I will 
Yeah, it's like with the picture of the funhouse on fire as he screams inside, and then he's like, "It'll be so fun!" and starts happily clapping. And uh, yeah, this is the nice little subtlety of the fiend character. When I say subtlety, it's not subtle in any form or way, but it's more subtle than him going, "I will attack you, Randy Orton." That's the level that I'm used to with WWE writing. I don't like you. I will beat you up. All right then. <laughs> I'll beat you up. <laughs> That's the, I don't like you either. That's the level I'm used to. So when you see this, this is more subtle than that. <laughs> but it's using visual storytelling in different ways. So other than your normal stuff. So it's a bit more to it. I really like it. Uh, but it looks like the theme is moving on uh, to uh, someone else from his past. Uh, after Survivor Series, because as I just pointed out, the Undertaker is probably going to happen there. But I like the way this is building. I'm going to get to the segment. Actually, no, I'll go to the end of the show now for how the show ended with a moment of bliss with Randy Orton. He entered looking over his shoulder. Uh, Orton's claims of from earlier in the show of not being afraid of the Fiend were truly tested. Uh, bliss assured him he'll be safe before asking her questions in such an overly upbeat way that Orton's com- like, Orton was like completely on alert, <laughs> obviously. Uh, like just say, were you surprised by such a super duper performance last night? And but Orton was calm in response. Like obviously saying that like, obviously he wasn't surprised. Like of course he wasn't. He's Randy flipping Orton. Like immediately he cut through the bull, still really calm as the heel Orton has been this year, and asked Bliss if there was a surprise plan tonight. And she's just like. Mm. No, of course not. Just do the little giggle and quickly change demeanour to be completely denying. And she was like, why would I do that? What what host wouldn't want a WWE champion on her show? Uh, especially after you and Drew burned the house down <laughs> last night. You get it? Because of the thing with the place. Uh, Orton straight up demands The Fiend. But it's McIntyre's music that plays and the two enter a big old brawl. And ah yes, the site we used to <laughs> over the, since August. We're still in it. Orton, completely caught off guard by his foe, though. Uh, Bliss was pointing and laughing at the fight in front of her the entire time. Uh, right as Drew called for the Claymore, however, the lights flickered down for the Fiend. And this is where the, the story that I really liked came in. Uh, when they came back up, McIntyre was all alone in the ring. Orton right up the ramp, and the Fiend appeared behind the champion. And he's like, right, this is, for the, this is where you do the slow turn. And you get the attack. But no, that doesn't happen. Randy never looked over his shoulder. Instead, he went straight back to McIntyre, eyeing him up, not looking the demon in the eye and returning to the fight. And it's like, I'm re-watching Dexter quite now, so quite a literal fight against your demon is right up my street. (laughs) So uh, the, the show came to an end as they brawled on the commentary desk. Unless you lived in Canada where we got to see a lovely spot with Drew shoving a pen into Randy's eye. So, yeah, you just, you know, like, you missed the ball, continue for 20 seconds or so. There's a wee non-PG spot, I guess. And that's where it ended. And, yeah, it's, yeah, apparently in America, it went off when, uh, like, Randy always was beating up on the desk, and that's when it ended. After they did that little fight, but, no. In Canada, you saw Drew get on top, and that's when it ended. So maybe they overran a tad and the American feed cut off. But in terms of the Bray White, Randy Orton stuff, the best description I've heard is Randy Orton didn't let him in. He's like, oh, yes. <laughs> the whole catchphrase for the uh, the fiend of, let me in. And he goes, whoa, whoa, whoa. 
And we've seen the story so many times where he'll choose a victim, he'll start that a victim, he'll scare them a bit and give his reasons why, and then he'll appear, do do the spooky thing and attack them and then give more reasons why, all, all, deliver, all cryptically delivered. But I like this as a completely different, kind of going the other way with this story. Randy Orton doesn't let him in and therefore goes back to Drew McIntyre. But the Fiend was there. He was over his shoulder, but Randy Orton never accepted him. He's like, oh, yes. <laughs> Fantastic storytelling. Right up my street. Really, really enjoyed that. And again, it's like a, you don't have to... You can do Firefly Hunt Funhouse thing next week. You don't need to do a Randy Orton, Bray Wyatt thing. Because again, you've got Survivor Series. Do they do the show attacks or something? I don't know in Pandemic if they're going to have two shows crossover. But, I mean, it's WWE. They might do. That said, I don't know uh, how they're going to shift gears to Survivor Series after this, as it was kind of... We got the news, really. We were informed that Drew McIntyre and Randy Orton will be going at least one more time, but The Fiend is there in the background. And it gives us such a different aura to the entire thing. Next week, when we were in a bit of a stronger gear of Drew McIntyre and Randy Orton... Drew McIntyre Randy Orton? <laughs> I've never called him Drew McIntyre. <laughs> I want to again, though. Uh... Drew Mackey and Randy Orton, uh, when they're maybe cutting a promo again next week, and there's maybe if there isn't a Fiend thing there, uh, I don't know. Because I was, again, I was done with it in the build to this most recent pay per view, so if it's still there again, uh, yeah. <laughs> uh, anyway, so yeah, feeling positive right now, just there are worries of it could slip back down, but they've added a jolt of something completely different. Because the crazy creativity of the Funhouse being injected into this feud adds so damn much. And I'm, I've, been, I've not been able to talk about it because it's been on Smackdown. But I have been enjoying the Alexa Bliss inclusion in the Bray Wyatt character. Just because it gives a completely different dynamic and kind of feel to the presentation and everything. Something completely new to build off uh, and figure out and dance around with. So yeah, Gemini. <laughs> Gemini really excited to see what comes up next. And I kind of would... I'd dial it down a bit, but really, it's the Fiend stuff which makes Randy Orton and Drew McIntyre feel new and different, but I also understand if they go too far with it, then it's not going to feel that special come after Survivor Series, because the Fiend's not going to do anything at Survivor Series. <laughs> it's the, the Fiend will probably be different with The Undertaker, and then he'll go to Randy Orton? Who knows? Because when, when, when is Drew McIntyre facing him? Like, would it be on Raw? <laughs> will it be at the pay-per-view after Survivor Series? Are we going to get a crazy thing like with Saudi Arabia, last Saudi Arabia show where like one week after Survivor Series we'll get another pay-per-view? That's something to keep in mind. I'm totally aware they could do it. I'm a bit worried. <laughs> Hopefully not. Hopefully it's not another backlash to the greatest match ever situation. Mixed in with a pay... Uh, was it payback? Like the one week after SummerSlam? Please don't do that. <laughs> anyway, quick sip, sip of tea before I go through the card in order, and my voice is dying. Mm. Yeah, my voice tends to die when like, after a late Sunday show, and I've been doing Twitch as well. So over at Twitch slash, uh, twitch.tv slash the implications with an S. I can plug it on here. Why don't I, I need to put a thing. <laughs> Just put a link there, so I don't need to say it every time. Uh, but yeah. Anyway, on to the main show. The uh, Raw Men's Survivor Series team had multiple qualifiers over the course of the show. We got three men confirmed. We got the entire women's team confirmed as well. 
and we got the announcements of like the entire card just blasted it into your face. <laughs> in a segment I genuinely enjoyed, it was a whole a massive jolt of fun in the second hour. It's like, oh yes, the, the joy New Day bring. And I'll get to it later. <laughs> it's been so needed on Monday Night Raw. And the qualifiers gave us some decent matches mixed in with WWE TV finishers. Well, again, I know quite a few people, or few, not quite a few people, there are viewers who really don't like the kind of WWE endings to matches they're getting invested in. But it's WWE TV. That's what I'm used to. I'm more when that happens on a pay-per-view. Like, I'm perfectly fine with Elias and Jeff Hardy exchanging guitar shots on telly. When they do it on a pay-per-view, nah, why are you on a pay-per-view if you're starting your angle there? <laughs> it's just, yeah, for me, you build up to the pay-per-view rather than build from it. It's, yeah, personal, <laughs> personal little thing. I mean, they needed to fill out a card, and it was fine. They were given the death spot, so, yeah, on the pay-per-view, uh, after a, an amazing opener on the show. So, uh, again, I guess, fine. <laughs> Feels like a solidly mid-card match, in a way. But anyway, so, before we got our first match of AJ Styles versus Jeff Hardy, AJ cut a promo, like, why on earth am I in a qualifying match? Like, have I not proven enough already? Uh, he says that, never mind, like, being on the team, like, he should be the captain. Uh, he's also, uh, he's got the big lad behind him, Armour Behin. So, get ready for the big lad. <laughs> uh, said big lad quickly marks his presence. Uh, Hardy was going to jump to the outside and instead found himself caught in Armour Behin's arms. Like, I like the idea of a heel security who genuinely only steps in to protect their wrestler with zero offence. You know, like actual security, as in nullifying with as little violence as possible. And the fact that Wobbehin was doing that, and I think he did it last week as well. Not a fan of them gawking at him, like Matt Riddle. <laughs> that felt toned down this week, where the main time that Jeff Hardy gawked at him was when he was about to climb to the top, and the cogs turned in his head, like, oh, I tried this earlier and he stopped me. Do I go for it again? And that, that's what kind of cost him at the end. And, yeah... Which I think, do I, this AJ Styles on my behind pairing is maybe a bit early for me to properly judge in it. It's week two. Don't, can't really say where it's going or if I'll definitely like it down the line. But early impressions, uh, I love my AJ Styles. And AJ Styles matches on now, look at the big fellow. <laughs> Isn't he big? <laughs> so, but, but AJ Styles, ah, a big person. <laughs> Isn't he tall? Yeah, he is really tall. <laughs> but AJ Styles does, yeah. But the two ended up having a decent TV match. Uh, minimal interference as well. Minimal, look how tall this person is, camera shots from the man's ankles. <laughs> They're just genuinely just like, generally just a match. And that was great. They're just like a normal match this week. Oh, the improvement over last time. Hardy staring at the big boy again only happened after he'd already stopped him. And it was so it was more out of caution. Like, wow, he big. <laughs> In the end, Hardy went to innovate after Omar Behin caused him to change his plan, taking Styles onto the ramp. Oh, I can't really say it. Onto the ramp side ring apron, only for the phenomenal one to counter, shove him into the ring post, and follow up with a phenomenal forearm for the win. And a little thing to appreciate: uh, Elias didn't attack until after the match. Where after the last pay per view, I'm just expecting it. Uh, after Jeff lost clean, like that was that was when he threw on the guitar, like adding to the punishment, uh, adding to the injury. Uh, so like that's the parting shot as well. Like this parting shot would always be on him with his theme playing, because he's got to mouth along to his new song. Damn it, his album's released. 
It's in the top. <laughs> it's the number one on iTunes on soundtrack specifically <laughs> on the soundtracks thing. Not number one on on iTunes. Number one on soundtracks on iTunes. That's technically number one on iTunes. Uh, yeah, it just. Yeah, that's something that our media went, yeah, it's soundtracks, it's not, you know, song songs. It's not number one, number one. <laughs> so, yeah. I mean, it's, it's still done relatively well. It's worked, I think, to reach the... To not reach... If, last time I checked, they hadn't... The album hadn't reached the top 20, but it was in the 20s, which, you know, for, I guess, a WWE wrestler thing. Is that impressive? It means it's not a total failure, I guess. Or is it? I don't know. <laughs> it, it doesn't mean he's going to quit wrestling, <laughs> I guess. But he's done relatively well enough. Uh, yeah, the match was still very isn't Omabihin tall, but it was also uh, at least had a bit of a match to it this time, and it wasn't as much focus on him. Where uh, that's that was that, that whereas we get used to him, so should the production. In a way, instead of just constantly gawking at him, um, and at least Jeff Hardy's gawks. They had like a story relevancy in the match compared to Matt Riddle, who would wrestle a match and then suddenly, oh, tall person. Oh, <laughs> uh, I'm worried to look back at that face on the stream. <laughs> but yeah, yeah, this was a improvement over last week, and that's the best you can say. That, that's uh, that's good. Just you know, I don't want to lose my AJ Styles matches to look at big man matches. So yeah, uh, next up, we had Akira's Hour and Drew Gulak versus Lucha House Party. Comedy segment in the first hour. Uh, I've been banging on about how like show pacing and putting these matches in the third hour just makes them feel like filler and I want to skip them. But in the first, for me, that's right at home. Not sure what it's like live in terms of audience and viewer retention. But for me, in terms of building the show, put it in the first hour as the show builds. Uh, not that I'm particularly enamoured either way. <laughs> the 24-7 comedy style is way too slapstick for me. Just not my type, kind of humour at all. Uh, it will get the odd giggle out of me. As you can tell, I like giggling. I giggle quite a bit. But the slapstick on 24-7 just doesn't do it for me. Uh, R-Truth came out partway through the match to go and commentary. But all four competitors in the match just immediately tried to pin him. Sod the match. Uh, Dorado tried a crossbody onto the 24-7, 5-11, whatever he says, champion. But Truth ducked and Lindsay instead ended up pinning Gulak for the tag win. Oh, well done, Lindsay, for remembering there's a match. Uh, and yes, I know, technically, when Truth arrived and Tozawa tried to pin him, he then chucked Tozawa into the barricade. It was like, this match going on, he's in the match. That's surely DQ. But it's a 24-7 title, so do I really care? <laughs> yes, I know the purists among us will be like, rules are rules. But it's also a 24-7 title. Do we really care? <laughs> do we really uh, after that, we got the Firefly Funhouse with a tea party. Uh, to the interview ring, Caruso brings in Keith Lee, who has an issue uh, with Charlie just calling Braun's actions questionable. It's like, questionable? Really? That's what you'd call them? Uh, the next time Keith sees him, he'll show him the real definition of a monster. Again, I like that, and it gives Keith Lee some real kind of strong character to make him feel like a, a guy who should be respected and feared that. Yes, and as a baby face as well, just talking like that, I like it. You can give him crap lines and it won't matter because his delivery is amazing. He's a dream for WWE. <laughs> it's the, I guess, uh, when people read it with the John Cena effect, where people are going, wait a minute, was John Cena like good when, <laughs> when suddenly when wrestlers are given the same type of stuff he was and you're like, oh, this is bad. Wait a minute, was John Cena like really good? <laughs> 
But anyway, uh, Adam Pearce walked into Nia Jackson, Shane and Baszler, and they've made lists of who should be on the Raw Survivor Series teams, uh, as they are like both captains, obviously, uh, and they stamp, stamp over each other in terms of what they're trying to do there. Uh, Pearce tells them they're thinking on the team still, but they'll find out who's on it by the end of the night. And we've got a segment later where they went through the team. Uh, Raw Men's Survivor Series team qualified number two, Elias versus Keith Lee. And Elias isn't going to let Jeff Hardy bring him down uh, because he's got his new album out. He's, he's there with his guitar and he tries to do a sing-song, but Keith Lee's having none of it. Uh, he's ready for game time. Uh, commentators over the match were putting li- over Lee's breakout performance as part of Team NXT last year. I like it. Uh, quick segue. Um, a segue. I've hinted on it already, really. Like, no, I'm not feeling down because there's no NXT involved. It's the more, like realisation of those matches would be multiple 15-person matches on one show during a pandemic. Do you really expect it to happen? Yeah. Uh, to be fair, I don't think it would have happened without the pandemic. <laughs> it was a one-off thing because of Saudi Arabia. But again, in a pandemic, definitely not. Uh, Keith Lee, with one hell of a mounty, mighty pounce before the ad break, like bloody launching Elias over the desk. Elias threw everything at Lee when they came back. Uh, nothing keeping him down. Then at the worst time for him, Jeff Hardy's music played. Uh, perched to hit the elbow off the top. Instead, he's distracted. Keith Lee launches him off and then follows up with a glory bomb for the win. And I guess the I guess big negative for me is they were having Elias kind of go toe-to-toe with Keith Lee. And Keith Lee is just surviving, just kicking out of all of this offence. But the reason it doesn't quite sit is because of what we've seen before. What kind of offence we've seen Keith Lee kick out of and fight back through. Elias, because his offence just lacks that certain punch, it's something about the kickouts. they don't have the same gravitas to him. So when he's lying down selling for Elias and Elias is like, oh my god, what's it going to take to win? He's just sitting there going, I never believed that was ever going to beat him. <laughs> and like, I've seen quite a few comparisons to The Miz. For me, The Miz has improved to quite a strong level. Maybe that's just because the way he wrestles with his character right now as well, it just fits really well. But with Elias, where he's doing this kind of character, then his wrestling just doesn't match a kind of main event level if they want him to be there. Uh, it's, it's, yeah, I never believed he, the moves should have won, and if they did win, it wouldn't have felt convincing. I guess it's the best way to put it. Still, an absolutely amazing talker, an absolutely, absolutely uh, kind of incredible stuff with the character and guitar. It's just when he wrestles, <laughs> I don't buy him as somebody who could ever beat Keith Lee, even though the offense is keeping him down. Just that's a that's my assessment of it, really. But AJ Styles and Keith Lee made one strong Raw team lineup before our final qualifier. Elias, after the match, was angrily pointing at Keith from the ring when Jeff Hardy crashes a guitar over his back. Now they're even. Uh, Jeff Hardy's shouting pretty much that at him. Uh, so yeah. Also, we got quite a few recaps of the Drew versus Orson Hell in a Cell thing. Uh, for me, that's good. It means I can skip over them because I'm not watching live. <laughs> but that kicked off their second hour, and that's when Randy Orton bumped into Charlie Caruso, uh, and she just asked a bit of a stupid question. <laughs> it does uh, At the end of the day, there's only one Randy Orton. The only people who should be concerned with his actions are those that cross him. Just yeah, do the politician thing of stupid question. I'm going to answer my own question. So yeah. Also, this led us to Retribution, the other big topic of the show. Retribution. Oh, Retribution. 
As, as soon as I saw that the Mia Yim photo was on WWE.com, I was like, I'm having that in my bottom left corner of the image. <laughs> my God, I'm photoshopping that in. It's just, yeah. Yeah, we'll get to it. So, also, first off, we got a full Hurt Business and Retribution VTR. That has, oh, yes, catalogue the nonsense. But it's, it's the WWE production team. And I can say what I want about the rivalry. The production of the video packages are amazing. You would think Retribution are the most anarchic group in history. And they're absolutely nailing every aspect about it. And oh my god, the Hurt Business is standing up for WWE. But Retribution, just because they're so bad, it's like the enemy of my enemies, my friend. And now I'm with Hurt Business to defend WWE against this outside force. Like the video package team. Just... <laughs> Yeah, give them. I've said I've said this before. Just give them a raise. Bloody hell, <laughs> they are so good at their job. That said, the actual thing, yeah, like yeah, get them in the door. Do a highly polished like we read the Photoshop. Do a highly polished Photoshop image. You've got them in the door. Then ha ha ha, I've got your click. <laughs> so, uh, yeah, it's like yeah, they've essentially clickbaited us with a fantastic video edited montage and then given us crap. <laughs> so the. Four-man elimination match leading into the five-man elimination show Survivor Series. We had Hurt Business versus Retribution. Ah, right then. Start with a pro. They're doing heel versus heel. And for me, like... And they were they were doing that without driving the fact that these are two baddie groups hard on commentary. Instead, the focus was on their rivalry just and the characters in there. And then it's, it's a minor thing, but I want to praise them before ripping this thing apart. <laughs> and perhaps it's a nice benefit of them not having to worry about crowd reaction, but they're finally be, like they're displaying the words that they have said in the past. We're saying we don't do good guys and bad guys or heroes versus villains totally. Uh, we're just characters. There are no heels and faces. They're just characters. And immediately everyone calls BS. <laughs> but Hurt Business versus Retribution? Yeah. Like, finally, there is something on the show which would resemble what they said. I don't know if it would outside of a pandemic, but in it, right now, yeah, Hurt Business versus Retribution is technically heel versus heel, and they're not bigging it up as, isn't this weird seeing two bad guy stables? It's No, it's just the characters versus each other. So there's at least part of that statement is on Raw. Finally. <laughs> I can say it. And it gives interesting dynamics. And if the champions stayed as the same champions two Survivor Series, we've got more heel versus heel matches. We've got Randy Orton versus Roman Reigns. Sami Zayn versus wherever the mid-card is or more. <laughs> Who is the United States Champion? Why am I drawing a blank? It's Bobby Lashley. It's Bobby Lee Lashley. Yeah, I'm literally just about to talk about him. <laughs> Good got him. Uh, but yeah. So we've got multiple up and down the card. Would, I would not rule out Sami Zayn dropping the title to Apollo Crews. <laughs> just uh, again, Apollo Crews versus the Hurt Business. Just go back into the comfort. Anyway... Uh, a bit odd. So, Retribution. Okay, so it's a bit odd how an anti-WWE faction entered through Gorilla and down the ramp. <laughs> but still, they got their... How do we make this seem chaotic? Oh, the crazy camera work. It's like, oh, just zooming in and out. Like, you know what would actually paint them as a threat? I don't know. Winning, maybe? <laughs> Zero and four. What a streak. <laughs> such great talent booked in such crap. Uh, Mia Yim mm. scratching her arms and having a fit in the ring while screaming get them off he's like yep a total WTF moment uh, followed by and as it, and before it got to the after the ad break I was just typing it in just like I mean if this is a The Fiend thing because they did that last week maybe 
then that could be a little bit interesting because it's the fiend doing something. But no, I deleted that <laughs> because during the ad break it was revealed that it was all a ruse to get MVP eliminated and she's just brushing it off like, yeah, aren't I smart? It was all a ruse, yeah. And everyone at home going, what is this crap? <laughs> what is this? Just, yeah. Uh, yet another what is this crap moment for Retribution. Before, they once again didn't win. <laughs> uh, Thorn, sorry, Slapjack, sold Lashley's spear like a boss. I'll give him a thumbs up for that. Followed by T-Bar and Bobbily Lashes brawling ringside for a countout, leaving us with Benjamin and Alexander versus Mustafa Ali and Mace. I should think about his name for a second. And uh, it was nice teamwork from Benjamin and Alexander to eliminate Mace. And then Mustafa Ali, two on one, fared about as well as you would think he did. Uh, but when but Ali managed to get down to he and Cedric, when he drew the man to the outside and walloped the lad with a chair for the DQ, in the face of defeat, the baddie DQ'd himself, which counts as another loss. <laughs> Zero and four <laughs> for retribution. And the rest of the Hurt Business then come down to protect their man, and Ali pelts it out the arena uh, as he faced the wrath of the business. And my God, what a sorry excuse for a stable. Uh, Hurt Business continued to win strong. Well, I won't call this super strong, but they won again. But uh, their opponents are a joke. So it doesn't really do much for them. Retribution don't win. And Mustafa Ali cut a promo later. But compared to last week, where they had a very confusing segment again, like in the ring, then Ali cuts an amazing promo. Here, again, Ali doesn't do a awful delivery. But the promo carries so much less weight because they lost again. So, yeah. In essence, the promo was saying that Retribution are not family, they're not a team, they are a mission. And they win when you suffer, when you get shut down. Like, Ali is a great promo, but obviously the words hit less and less as they continue to lose. <laughs> so, over the course of time, I'm caring less and less about the stable. It's great for us, <laughs> obviously, for us reviewers, because it's a comedy goldmine. It's like every booking mistake in the book made... Or not just booking, just simple story writing. Just mistake made over and over again. Uh, they established the threat. Then the threat continued to not succeed as they're building the story to you're meant to care about this big clash at the end. But they continue to lose all the time. <laughs> so why would I care about the fight at the end? <laughs> it's just, yeah, it's not one. Anyway, uh, after that we went, went to a few segments building up stuff. Uh, we had a Mandy Rose and Dana Brooke segment. They were getting hit on by Angel Gaza, but his attention is drawn by Nia Jax as the tag team champions walk in. Uh, they had a ton of a tiff about Survivor Series between the two teams, setting up the segment to come. Uh, Nia accepts Angel's rose, and Shino goes, Ew, like, really? Him? Uh, yeah, so Nia. Nia took the rose. Anyway, another, I'm just going to run through a load of backstage segments. The next one I loved, uh, Kofi and Woods dressed up as the Street Profits. Uh, champion versus champion at Survivor Series reaps benefits. Uh, please say we'll be getting promos like this with both teams ribbing each other every week. Like, this was gold. Woods with the Burger King hat. <laughs> Didn't be Ford. Uh, Kofi going full Dawkins. Never go full Dawkins. Asuka burst in to make this the greatest backstage segment ever. <laughs> they just run through the Survivor Series card, but I love this wee bit of fun. It's getting so hyped. They were getting so hyped about it, I was really enjoying it. Asuka leading Kofi and Wood into a New Day Vox sing and dance. Just, it was just the cherry on the top. 
New Day are just the joy Monday nights have so needed. And them interacting with Miz and Morrison as well was just like a little perfect little thing as well. Yes, really enjoyed it. Uh, here, Drew McIntyre was backstage with Caruso, bumping into Caruso. Is that, is that, ah, yes, of course you're here. Uh, says, of course, he'll try and reclaim his WWE Championship to, again, a stupid question. Makes a guarantee that Orton will have a moment tonight, but it will not be one of bliss. Get it? Because he's on, he's on that thing, that thing with the person. Mm, yeah. uh, women's Survivor Series team reveal. Adam Pearce and Pat Buck, they're the on-screen officials. Because, of course, the mandate of no on-screen officials died. I think it lasted a few months, I'll give them that. I'll give them that. <laughs> and it died a bit during, obviously, the whole pandemic era in the PC, so I'll give them that again, I guess. But they bring out the competitors. First, it's Nia Jax and Shayna Baszler, followed by Randy Rose and Dana Brooke. And finally, a fatal four-way to determine the fifth competitor. Nia Jax was like, whoa, you're just blasting through these reveals. Just calm it down a bit. Just you're like, give some gravitas to the last one. Maybe I should reveal as the captain. And Shayna Baszler pulls the face. But yes, a fatal four-way determined the fifth and final competitor in the team. It was Lacey Evans versus Lana versus Peyton Voice versus Nikki Cross. Cross with a generic country theme? Like, it was like Lacey Evans and Peyton Voice's theme blended into one meh. <laughs> A.K.A. this fits Cross's character how? Does she have southern heritage? <laughs> just, just generic song. Dear adds nothing to her. Um, but with this match, Cole Gado, we got some chaos up in here. A quick match as they blasted with the time that they had. Hey, and it was a fine, enjoyable middle-of-the-card bout with a wee amount of stakes. This show didn't have massive stakes because they were building to Survivor Series. but uh, And it's a fallout from the pay-per-view, so yeah. yeah Vo Voice Cross and Evans, towards the end, had a great sequence. Uh, finishing off with the Tower of Doom uh, but in ran Lana to steal the win. It's just, those three had an amazing little match. Lana was jumping in every now and then. There's a little funny moment where she tried to hop over the top rope and got her foot caught a little bit, then ran into her spot. But for me, that helped with the win. It's helping with the story they're telling, where Lana is winning, even though the other wrestlers that she's in the ring with are all better than her. And I don't, I don't mean that in a smarky way. I mean that that's the story they're telling. The story is that Lana keeps getting victories even though she may not be the strongest wrestler out there. She keeps, she's keeps she got a way to win matches. <laughs> and that may, that's why she's dangerous. She can score wins. And uh, yeah, just like in football. All that matters is if you get the ball in, in that net. She's very, very good at getting the ball in the net. Doesn't matter about the rest of the game. <laughs> she can suck at everything else. Um, but yeah, so after that, she welcomed a hug from Naya. Like what? It's it's like in cons con con uh, I can't say it <laughs> in consolation. That's not right. Got to break the ice. We're like we're on the team now, friends. And I was like, yeah, friends. Nope. <laughs> so yep, six weeks running. Lana goes through the desk, and I would love for that to play into the match because it played into the battle royal in a really kind of a, in a really good way. Where I just forgot Lana was there. I assumed she would have been taken out by the spot where she gets powered into the announce desk, but no. At the end of the match, she turns up and wins the match. Then at Survivor Series, why not do it again? Yeah. Doesn't, I don't know. I'd have her be dangerous, but not actually win. And you can use the fact that she won the Battle Royal as a tease for her winning. But no. Even, you could do it with her as one of the last people. Or with everyone down, else down on her team, she rises up or something. But she doesn't win. 
You can use it as a teaser. That's what I like. Santina Movella at Elimination Chamber against Daniel Bryan. <laughs> Just do the oh my god, she might actually win this, but then she doesn't. But Santina was so over <laughs> in that period. Uh, a fan who would have thought Daniel Bryan and Santina Morella would have one of the hottest uh, crowds for like a final two in an elimination chamber. It's, it was fantastic stuff. Uh, we then got our final Raw Men's Survivor Series team qualifier. It's easy for me to say. This was my favourite of these three qualifying matches of the night. Loved the back and forth momentum. A relatively even match overall. Sheamus with his strength. Riddle utilising his athleticism in... Too, sorry, in tow with his own power, I know how to read. A kick after kick, downing the Irishman in the fight back before a single power of strength swung control back his way. A great stiff knee got a reaction from me in the near fall. Uh, Shamu himself impressively surviving after an exploder suplex off the top rope. Uh, Liddle looked in serious danger after a floating bro was met with the knees, but Liddle somehow avoided a follow-up and tried to sleep a Sheamus down. But the back gave way, uh, trying to power Sheamus up, he couldn't do it, and a broke kick capitalised for the win. Really, really, really good TV match. It was the, uh, they put it over on commentators, like one of the hardest hitting matches, I think it's one of the most violent matches we've had in a while. Uh, that's them, obviously, overselling because of on commentary, but I would say I really enjoyed the back and forth nature of this, where they were just getting, like, <laughs> things weren't working. They were both constantly kicking out. And and both offense was believable as well. Like this is what I'm talking about with Elias versus Keith Lee, where I believe the offense they were throwing at each other could get the win. And and like after that stiff knee, they got a re- it generally got a reaction from me when they didn't score because Riddle sold it so well. So the the knee felt so damn stiff <laughs> when he did it. It's like yeah, fantastic stuff. And that was like in the middle of the match. And then like the final third was after the floating bro, and you truly do believe that Riddle's hurt his back. Uh, so when it comes to play in the end, like you believe, yeah, I can go with that. Yeah, both guys, for me, both guys came out that well. It's just, for Matt Riddle, obviously, it's how do you follow up with that? But it was genuinely, yeah. But as you can tell by the speed of blasted through everything else, it wasn't that big a roar as I kick something with my foot. <laughs> it wasn't that big a roar. It was. A building block. I think I said this with NXT before where it was like maybe after one of their shows where it felt like a building episode and this will be the same thing. Just had a pay-per-view. There weren't any major angles on it. You had a few landscape changes but nothing significant. Um, but this was like a building block role. And you've got Survivor Series. So you can use that as time to get your feuds built and in order for the pay-per-view afterwards whilst also building to Survivor Series. And I felt like I did that on this Raw. And I didn't have a fatigue point, which is another running theme on this show. Where, I've, uh, where I always make the comment of three hours is too long. So I thought, why not mark the fatigue point so I can actually track it? This week, no fatigue point. Just thought I'd, <laughs> it's quite an important point there. Uh, the show went off a bit weirdly again. But <laughs> not many much complaints when I enjoyed the entire segment. That's the difference from this week to last week. The Hell in the Cell segment was building to something, and this week it was more of a sub- kind of surprise thing with a bunch of creativity surrounding it because of the fiend. So yeah, that's pretty much this episode of Raw. Building Survivor Series, Randy Orton and the uh, the fiend and McIntyre looked to be great. Retribution looked to be crap. <laughs> First way I can put it, SmackDown looks really strong, and the way that they're going to build 
uh, going forward is really quite exciting. NXT's Halloween Havoc this Thursday. And uh, yes, this Thursday I'll be live at 7EST, I think, again. Maybe a bit afterwards. Uh, with the clocks changing, I've got a bit more leeway with that. And uh, what's it? I'll be joined by James Boyd of One Nation Radio once again to go through Halloween Havoc for the special Spooky Spook Spooky Spook show. As I'm calling it. I'll call it. I won't call it that. <laughs> no, no. So, yeah. So, I'll be reviewing Halloween Havoc. Not immediately live afterwards. Like this for review. Next day, 8pm Eastern. Sorry, 7pm Eastern on... On? I meant at 7pm Eastern on Thursday. There we go. Bloody plugs. I'm knackered. <laughs> but thank you for watching and listening to this. This I'll be back on Thursday. You can tell I've done a show on Sunday. And then a Twitch stream yesterday. I went for three hours because I'm crazy. Shouldn't have done that. <laughs> I was knackered by the end of it. Uh, anyway... So join me on Thursday for the NXT review with James to go over Halloween Havoc. <laughs> and what do you think of Monday Night Raw? Hit me up on Twitter at the damn Implicat. Uh, comment below. Uh, don't forget to like, like, subscribe, bell, whatever you have you. Uh, five star reviews on the podcast version of whatever you're listening to really helps us out as well. Uh, just engagement too. What did you think of Monday Night Raw? Are Retribution just a joke now? Can you take them seriously just with everything that's happened? Zero for four. What a run. What was Mia Yim's thing? <laughs> uh, obviously, the correct answer is a great idea from a great creative. And uh, yeah, Randy Orton McIntyre, are you tired of it? Was The Fiend enough to get you into it? Uh, and Survivor Series. Uh, no, NXT, does that bum you out? But was it also a exciting... Is it exciting you anyway? Yeah, I'm fine with it. I enjoy the run anyway. Storylines quite often have to halt and, and then you go on with it. But this year, I was like, no, I'm, I'm good for the break in a way. And you can prolong things a bit. <laughs> no, WWE don't often do That's why I liked this Raw more than I have of other Raws around Survivor Series in the past. You have a... Like, they were still building their rivalries and things, and but it felt like they can stretch it out a bit rather than let's focus on Survivor Series. This is important now. Like, no. Continue like this. I'm, I'm fine with it in this style. Uh, major con, really, is they've got the draft so close to Survivor Series, <laughs> meaning that there's such a... Big thing where they're trying to say, isn't it brand, it's, this brand supremacy is such an important thing. But half of the guys were on the other show just a couple of weeks ago. <laughs> so well, I'm sure they built up such a loyalty having been on the show by like in for four weeks <laughs> by the time the show happens. So yeah, it made sense last year because that's when SmackDown moved to Fox and they made a massive deal about it. NXT onto USA. You had the whole new era booming as well for wrestling. It was, yeah, it was an exciting time. But this year, what, why have you kept the draft now when Survivor Series is right here? <laughs> so, yeah. Yeah, it's a, it's a little planning, scheduling thing that just makes me think. But you've got the brand supremacy thing, uh, just like as the next pay-per-view after your draft. <laughs> Surely that, just move the draft away from that, maybe. Yeah. Anyway, it's not a major criticism from me. It's a bit of a giggle, really, if anything. Anyway, I'm going to sign off now for this shortest Run Monday Night Raw review I've ever done. <laughs> Ten minutes of filler <laughs> at the end. Uh, thank you for listening. Thank you for doing anything else. I'll be back on Thursday. With that, bid you adieu. Adios. Ten.